We have this incredible power to make change. I think that we're such a humble community, often we don't consider that, but you know, the choice of flour that we make, mm. that we um, bring into our pantries, it, it feeds us, it feeds our body, it feeds our families and our friends, but it can also grow a whole community. It can change agriculture in a way um, that affects, you know, real people. Yeah. And we've, we've grown so distant from our flour and from grain for such a long time that it's kind of the last frontier in sort of the, the good food yeah. <laughs> movement. This is the Sourdough Podcast, the show about the innovators, leaders, and creative minds in the sourdough community and the stories behind the bread. On this season one finale episode of the Sourdough Podcast, baker, educator, and author Sarah Owens joins me for my first in-home interview. Sarah shares how her own unique sourdough journey emerged from the confluence of her Tennessee upbringing, careers as both a ceramic artist and horticulturalist, and battles with her own personal health. We discuss her third, soon-to-be-released cookbook, Heirloom, as well as her James Beard award-winning book, Sourdough. And you won't want to miss the big news Sarah shares for the first time with the Sourdough podcast audience about her upcoming move out west as she embarks on a new, exciting chapter in her life and career. Before we start the interview, I wanted to thank everyone who has been a part of the first season of the podcast. To my incredibly talented brother-in-law, Weston Perry, who is the creator of all the music you hear on the podcast, you truly give the podcast its soul. To my amazing and inspiring guests who freely share their wisdom and passion with us, and of course, you listening right now. You're the reason I'm up right now at midnight in my makeshift sound studio recording instead of sleeping. You know, I knew when I started this podcast almost exactly one year ago that there was an amazing community of sourdough bakers out there. It was the inspiration I first gained from you that motivated me to want to tell the stories of the cottage bakers, the authors, grain growers, film directors, professionals, and amateurs alike. I didn't know if my idea would resonate with anybody else out there, so I was so encouraged when people actually started to listen in, subscribe, and share the podcast with their community. I've learned so much from my guests about the importance of supporting your local grain economy, about hard work, sacrifice, and following one's passion. I hope to carry this momentum into season two and to continue to share with you more inspiring stories from our sourdough community and help spread the sourdough revolution. A special thanks to those of you who have left reviews on iTunes. I wanted to read a few real quick. Jeff McCarthy at Bread Service said, Hello, I just wanted to reach out to you and thank you for the podcast. I just listened to what you've done so far on a 10-hour car ride. It seems something that the bread community needed. The ideas they have planted about growing my small business and continuing to integrate into my family's lives, I'm sure will prove fruitful. Anyway, just keep it up. All the best. Thank you, Jeff. That really meant so much to me. I've loved watching your home bakery grow. Travel Dan says, Finally a podcast by sourdough enthusiasts for sourdough enthusiasts. Loved it. Thank you so much. Makes my work commute in the UK bearable. <laughs> uh, yeah, love it. Thanks, Dan. And uh, especially all my sourdough commuters out there. Uh, and a special shout out to my UK listeners. I see you guys out there. And finally, Nicole at 
NMUVU says, just wanted to pop in and say thank you for your podcast. I just recently started listening to it and am thoroughly enjoying hearing the backstories on so many bakers for our Instagram sourdough community. Just wanted to let you know it is very appreciated. Uh, thanks, Nicole. I really appreciate your kind words, and I'm a big fan of your work as well. One of the most helpful things you could do if you haven't had the chance is to share the podcast or leave a review. If you want to see the Sourdough Podcast continue to grow and to continue to bring you inspiring stories from our amazing community, please take a moment to rate and review the podcast. It really goes a long way, and I'd be very grateful for your support. Now, without any further ado, my interview with Sarah Owens. My guest today is Sarah Owens. She's the author of the James Beard award-winning book, Sourdough, Recipes for Rustic Fermented Bread, Sweets, Savories, and More, as well as the book Toast and Jam, and the forthcoming heirloom, Time-Honored Techniques, Nourishing Traditions, and Modern Recipes. Sarah's worked as a ceramic artist and is trained as a horticulturalist, curating and working at renowned gardens, museums, and conservancies all around New York City. Uh, originally from Clinton, Tennessee, <laughs> Sarah now uh, teaches baking and preservation workshops around the world. Uh, when she's not traveling, Sarah is based in New York City, where she owns and operates Ritual Fine Foods. Uh, however, today, Sarah is speaking with me in the kitchen of my home in Turlock, California. Hi. <laughs> Sarah, Sarah, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's so great to have you here in my home. And, you know, I've just been looking forward to talking with you for uh, quite a while now. And we've just been, you know, in contact for a bit. And um, so it's just it's really exciting to get to talk with you in person. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me yeah. here. We, you know, we were just at uh, Bonnie O'Hara's mm-hmm. in, in uh, Modesto, such, the next town over. Uh, had, <laughs> yeah. You know, I hope you're not all talked out. but No, uh, <laughs> no, she spoiled us with all that good food. She really did. Yeah. Um, I said I needed a nap after the cookies right. <laughs> and the hot chicken soup because yeah. we were currently in the middle of a cold snap, mm-hmm. um, which I don't think you're getting the true uh, <laughs> Central Valley, California experience, right. summer experience. I think I brought the rain with me from New York. <laughs> yes. And uh, we, well, we need the rain out here. But, mm. um, but yeah, but before we delve maybe into your, your background, your story a little bit, mm-hmm. um, what brings you to California in the first place? Because a, a little bird named, actually named Sarah uh-huh. Owens, um, <laughs> recently mentioned that she is uh, coming to an end in, of her, of her yes. time in New York City. Yes. Yeah. Can you tell us a little about what's going on? Yeah, of course. So this is kind of actually the formal announcement. Um, Oh, yeah. Exclusive. (laughs) uh, Yeah, exclusive announcement on the Sourdough Podcast. (laughs) So I, um, for a number of different reasons, both personal and professional, have decided to leave New York City after 12 years of living and working and baking there. And I'm actually going to be moving to Sebastopol, California. All right. (laughs) Another one, Coast California. Yeah, so um, a place I never thought I would live, um, but I'm very excited. Such a beautiful part of the state. And so just abundant and Mm -hmm. um, very uh, lush with produce, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but also the, you know, the food culture here is just, um, it's so welcoming and I'm really excited to be working on a project with 
couple of other people. So it's a collaborative project um, with two other women to be starting a farm-to-table cooking school on an actual farm. Wow. Uh-huh. Um, so there will be a baking program, but also the opportunity to learn lots of other skills mm-hmm. there that um, have to do with you know what's being produced on the farm. And um, that can be anything from goat milk uh, or Jersey cow related products to um, there's a beautiful acre vegetable farm that two women uh, run there as well. So it's a really fantastic opportunity to kind of take what I'm already doing, um, which is working as, you know, half baker, half educator Mm -hmm. to a whole new level. Yeah. Um, So I'm really, really excited. it's, It's a total dream. And it's actually happening. And I kind of, you know, every other day I like pinch myself to make sure it's actually happening. But, oh, so exciting. Um, to, it's a big, uh, sounds like a big, like kind of new chapter in your life and absolutely. moving across the country yeah. and starting something new. Big new chapter. And it's going to take a while to flesh it out. But um, part of be- me being here this week, we were able to... Um, really nail down the concept Mm. and start start talking specifics. And we met with uh, some architects and some people that uh, will help sort of pull it together and manifest the building that will be constructed to house the school and also the guest houses. So people will be able to come and actually stay. Destination. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's for people who are pretty serious about learning a certain skill or craft um, rather than uh, kind of a fun experience. Mm-hmm. So it's um, going to be able, I'm going to be able to sort of dive a little deeper than how I've been able to teach classes mostly out of Rockaway, mm-hmm. which have primarily been one day, you know, workshops that are pretty condensed into, you know, one day or a half day. But this is sort of the opportunity to take it a little further, do a two- or three-day workshop so that people can really um, get a little further into the craft of, of sourdough baking. So will, will it be primarily bread, or you'll be fermenting lots of different things? Well, um, so it's it seems like I will be a big part of the bread. I'll be sort of steering the bread program um, and the baking program and doing a small-scale production baking for the local community, um, through a CSB, but, um, it seems like I'll kind of be, um, more in the fermentation realm as well. So, um, the other two women that I'm working with, they are trained, uh, in, you know, culinary school fashion. Mm -hmm. So they have, um, some amazing skills and they'll be kind of fleshing out the rest of the program. Um, but I'm really excited to be able to have kind of a little lab yeah. <laughs> where I can ferment all kinds of different things. Yeah. And it's apple country. The Gravensteins are there. Wow. So <laughs> I'm like, hmm, like, maybe I'll get into some wonder cider. Wonderland. Yeah, or... <laughs> for a fermenter. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You never, you never know. Mm-hmm. So, um, but the, the great thing is there's, there's the opportunity to, explore that and it's going to take a while for it to get off the ground. I mean, we're probably not even going to break ground on the building itself until next spring, so spring 2020. Um, But I'll be moving, relocating permanently um, in the fall to just kind of 
really put more and more of my time toward that project. Um, and I'll still be traveling quite mm-hmm. a bit to teach, um, sort of on the, in the in-between time. But, um, yeah, I'm super excited yeah. about it. How did you originally connect with uh, these women? So, um, originally, Hillary and Jack, who own the farm, um, and you can find them on Instagram at Backyard Terroir. And they have an amazing um, website, actually. I think that's the, the best way to get to know what they're doing on the farm. They um, kind of decided a number of years ago that they wanted to not just eat the best food that they could possibly find, but they wanted to learn how to make it and do it themselves. And so part of their journey has been also learning how to make bread, sourdough bread. Um, And they love the idea of sort of cultivating their their own wild yeast because that's what they do in their cheese-making practice as well. Um, And so they had invited me out two years ago, I think, um, when I was promoting Toast and Jam. And I came out and did a five-day workshop. Never met them before, but they were like, just come. You can stay on the farm, Mm -hmm. and um, we can just dive deep into sourdough baking. And so I did, and um, we got to know each other that way. And since then, they've come out to the East Coast a couple of times and um, taken other one- or two-day workshops. And we've just kind of gotten to know each other over time in that way and I know you know sort of what their food ethos is mm-hmm. and it's right in line with my own um so it's been a really beautiful sort of unfolding of this uh relationship around a, a dedication to quality food mm-hmm. yeah. and um so it's it's really exciting that we're embarking on this together and then Serena um so it's Hillary Serena and I Hillary and Serena know each other from um, sort of the cooking community mm-hmm. uh, here in California and Sonoma. And um, so I met Serena about the same time. Um, actually, at the work- she was part of the workshop. Um, part of the- she was an attendee of the workshop that I gave. But she's had plenty of experience baking as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. So that's, um, wow. that's the story so far. It sounds like... <laughs> all these some brilliant minds coming together and, yes. and something really beautiful is going to come out of it and yes. some people are or people can be able to learn some some amazing skills I hope and so. <laughs> learn how to make some bread and maybe stay in a, like a beautiful mm-hmm. location and uh, so anyway I'll, I'll be uh, first in line when you guys open up and yeah uh, definitely come up and see yeah, us yeah I'd love to do that yeah well I, I thought we'd take moment to talk a little bit about your your journey to how, maybe how you kind of found yourself moving to California to be a baker mm-hmm. and um, talk about your sourdough journey a little bit. Um, in your book, Sourdough, you dedicate the book to your grandmothers, uh-huh. who, you, who you say taught you to cook from the garden and forage from the land. Can you yeah. talk, tell us about them a little bit? Sure, sure. So... Um, both of, my two grandmothers were very different people, <laughs> but um, they both had a very specific relationship to their environment. Um, my mother's mother was very much a gardener, um, I think more out of necessity to feed her family. Um, my mother didn't grow up, um, she grew up very sort of underprivileged, I think. Where did you um, grow up? In East Tennessee. 
in the foothills of the Great Smoky Mountains. And so they always had a large garden um, in order just to feed their large family. Mm-hmm. And um, that often meant also collecting things from the wild because the that area of the United States is very abundant as mm-hmm. well. And lots of beautiful edible um, forage things that I always kind of took for granted actually yeah. growing up as just part of what, you know, what was on the table. I didn't think it was anything <laughs> really specifically special um, until later. Oh, I life. wouldn't say that's a, a something most kids these days grow up doing is foraging for yeah. their own dinner. Yeah. So my, my other grandmother, my um, father's mother, you know, they were more sort of um, very working class, but they wanted to buy a farm to raise their kids on the farm. And so they became very, um, you know, associated with foraged foods as something that was just there and available. Um, and I remember begging that grandmother cause she would cultivate this wild patch of poke. We call it pokeweed, mm-hmm. um, Americana. It's, um, it's, it's not, you can't pick it and eat it. You, it's actually can be slightly poisonous if you don't okay. know how to prepare it properly. Uh-huh. Um, I've never listed any recipes <laughs> for it because <laughs> I don't want to take any chances, but if you parboil it and then saute it with some eggs and ba- bacon, every bacon makes everything better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's absolutely de- delicious. And the, um, you can taste, you know, it's this green that when it's cooked, you can just taste how sort of fortifying uh-huh. it is and I would crave it as a kid oh. and I would beg my grandmother um to go out and and you know pick the pokeweed and she got to a point where she figured out how to pick it parboil it and then free chop it and freeze it oh. so that when it wasn't in season I would be like honey <laughs> <laughs> granny can I have some oh. pokeweed and she could actually pull it out of the freezer um what but a, yeah what a sweet grandma Oh, she was, I don't know if I would call her sweet. sweet. <laughs> she was a little ornery. <laughs> but um, she was very loving and very giving. And it that kind of relationship to the land was always very important, mm-hmm. I think, um, to me as a kid. And um, I, I don't think I realized until much later in life how much it influenced the way I think about food. Mm-hmm. Um And now, even when I travel, it's really interesting because, um, you know, I'm I'm very interested in cultures that have these longstanding traditions, um, culinary traditions. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the cultures that I personally associate with um, are cultures that, you know, grew up in an area that was maybe isolated from, you know, an urban mm-hmm. uh, existence or, you know, grew up sort of um, maybe a little less privileged than a lot of other people and they rely on the land, um, what the land gives them mm-hmm. seasonally. And that's kind of how I grew up as well. Yeah. And, you know, Appalachia has a very specific culture, but there are cultures like that all over the world mm-hmm. that sort of have, it, it may be different foods, it may be different recipes, but it's very much the same principles. Yeah, of, kind of a universal food language. Yeah, yeah. And so it's, you know, no matter where I go, whether it's um, Oaxaca or, or Turkey mm-hmm. or Lebanon, 
um, you know, there are these beautiful cultures of um, people, mostly women that I've connected with, that they they have their little patch of dandelion weeds or they have their little patch of this or that. Um, Yeah, so my grandmothers really were a big part of that. And my mother also, she, she carried on some of that and still does. She's still picking weeds in the backyard. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's why it's uh, sourdough is dedicated to them. Yeah. And, and so you've, you've worked as a ceramic artist, uh, a garden curator, <clears throat> a mm-hmm. baker, and um, you, know, you clearly love to work with your hands. Yes. Um, is that something I'm, I would assume you also kind of picked up growing up and where you grew up and with your, your grandmothers or... Um, you attribute that to your childhood as well? Yeah, I mean, I think I was always just a creative person, um, and I was lucky that I had parents that encouraged that. Um, you know, they encouraged me to be academic as well because they wanted to provide for me opportunities that they didn't have. And so they, of course, wanted me to excel academically. But when I showed that I had interest in playing the piano or ceramics or whatever it was, they were very supportive uh-huh. of that. Even in college, when I, you know, switched my major from international business to ceramics, they were like, <laughs> okay, <laughs> we support <Yeah>. you. <laughs> kind of like my, my philosophy degree, maybe. Uh-huh. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, but I think that Certain people are very inclined to want to see a physical manif- manifestation of their effort. And mm. um, so I love being able to put in 8 or 12 or 14 <laughs> hours of working and see mm. the results. Yeah. And I'm the same way. Yeah. yeah. And so I think that that um, has always been something that's been very attractive to me. And I like being physically engaged. Um, so yeah, it's, that started with. Okay. Well, we had a little technical difficulty, but we'll just jump right back into it, Sarah. Um, <laughs> no problem. so, you know, we were talking about, you know, how you, you know, kind of grew up around your grandmothers and, and working in, in the gardens and we're talking about your, you know, passion for working with your hands mm-hmm. and, um, you know, you're a trained horticulturalist and we, we kind of were talking about how, um, that has influenced your, your baking in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And, and my question was, was how exactly would you say that your, your horticulture background has, has influenced your understanding of, of sourdough? Yeah. So when I first started baking with sourdough, I was kind of trying to solve a digestive dilemma. And I was used to thinking about plants on a microbial level. Um, in terms of, you know, I was an organic gardener, so I was doing things to assist the relationship between the plants and the nutrition of the soil by introducing things like compost tea, which is Mm. essentially really just brewing microbes and then drenching the soil with it (laughs) Um, in order for the plants to be able to absorb and take up more nutrition Mm -hmm. from the soil. And so that sort of was a natural thing for me to wrap my head around, but I had never really considered my my own body as, like, I'd never considered the microbiome of my own body. Yeah. And so... Which is kind of a relatively new thing that people are starting to pick up on. Right, right. And so I was kind of coming to this dead end with 
traditional Western medicine, really trying to correct things with very quick fixes, like um, pills, <laughs> basically, is what mm-hmm. it comes down to. Um, but I just wasn't convinced that that was the solution. And so I started looking into fermentation as a way to really build up my, um, my, my gut flora and to enhance and bolster my immune system, which I've always had, um, issues with. And so, you know, that kind of started me on the path of fermenting mostly vegetables in a very simple way. And then I was like, oh, well, I realized that whole grains actually are my, are kind of my worst enemy digestively mm-hmm. at that point. Um, so what can I do to help, you know, alleviate that? And so I was like, well, maybe ferment, how do I ferment? Oh, sourdough is <laughs> like this, <laughs> sourdough is fermented grain. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I picked up this hippy dippy little, <laughs> Uh, book at the um, this used bookstore called Adventures in Sourdough. Okay, ri- written in the seventies, uh-huh. and the first chapter is like how to take your sourdough starter camping. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I was like, oh, well, you know, I can do this. And so I started there, and I think because I had been used to thinking about microbes in this other way, in this sort of plant based way, mm. it wasn't as difficult for me to wrap my head around, you know, how do I get a culture to bubble? Mm. (laughs) How do I get it to leaven bread? How do I get it to work for me in terms of making a loaf of bread that I can eat and feel good after I eat it? And that just kind of sent me down this rabbit hole, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, of like... We all know the sourdough rabbit hole. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's an addictive practice. And like every other craft... Um, and I've, you know, pursued a lot of different cra- crafts in my life. It's a skill and you have to learn the skill before you can become better and before, before mm-hmm. you can become creative. Yeah. And so I really, I love those challenges, um, of first learning the skill. And I think that that kind of goes back to my days of ceramics as well. Mm-hmm. I had, um, a mentor. I always tell people it's, it's really important when you're learning sourdough to find it. Find somebody that speaks to you. Find mm-hmm. a mentor, um, whether that's you know through a book or through a class or through YouTube videos. But I had, when I was in ceramics, I had a, a, a mentor um, that really just drilled it into me. Um, two things: one is to let it go. <laughs> you know, it, uh-huh. you're going to produce really bad plates or cups. I have a three-year-old. Three I, I know the song. Yeah. yeah. You know, you're going to produce really bad stuff and it may break or it may explode in the kiln or whatever. Um, and it's, it's the same with baking. Mm. It's the same with sourdough. Um, you have to go through that really painful period (laughs) of making bricks. Um, but once you get through, once you move through that, then it's this joyous thing that just keeps giving back and you're always learning something new. I'm still like... This is nine years, I think, nine or ten years into to baking with sourdough, and I'm learning stuff all the time. Um, and it's, yeah, it's yeah. been a great little rabbit hole to fall down. Yeah, and so <laughs> you've been baking for how long now? I think, um, I think I started dabbling in, like, 2009, and then I think I got serious about it in, like, 2010, 2011. Okay. 
And I think 2011 is when I actually got a business license. Um, I, rem- I remember feeling really guilty <laughs> about skipping work, you uh-huh. know, my, my day job and like going down to City Hall <laughs> and getting my business license. Um, and that's, yeah, that's about the time that I started my first CSB. So it okay. was... It was kind of, and that was sort of like, well, how can I bankroll this obsessive habit that I have? <laughs> you know, and was really lucky that I had support from that community. Yeah, yeah. Tell me, tell me about that because that's you know something I always want to talk about on this program is, our, is the sourdough community. Sure. And yeah. um, was it the Greenwood Heights? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And you say in the book that it's where you, you honed your skills to bake good bread. And mm-hmm. um, can you tell us more about that community? Yeah. Yeah. So um, when I approached them, I was, you know, baking out of my home and I wanted to take it to the next level. And so I got in touch with them and um, they had me over. The people who organized the CSA had me over and it was uh, a couple and their two young sons. Um, one was like not eating solid food yet. And the mm. other one was maybe five or six. And I remember thinking, and I baked all these like buckwheat and rye and mm. all these loaves. And I remember sitting down and thinking, oh, this is going to go terrible. This, <laughs> this kid is going to hate this like bread, you know, this mm-hmm. chewy, dense, whole grain bread. And we're sitting around the table, and he's, he's like, sampling everyone. And you can tell he's being really thoughtful. And we're, ta- we're chatting about this and that. And he pipes in, and he says, I really like the flavor profile wow. of this buckwheat <laughs> bread. It has earthiness. And, it, and I don't know if he had been listening wow. to us or what, yeah. you know, where he even picked up this language. And I was kind of like, well, I am in Brooklyn, so maybe... <laughs> Maybe he's just a child of his environment, yeah. but um, it was really encouraging, actually, yeah. um, because you know at that point I'd kind of been baking just to mm-hmm. suit my own my own taste and the the preferences of the people that I worked with that were so kind to eat my <laughs> my bricks yeah. in the beginning. But um, they were like, "Yeah, do it. Let's go for awesome. it." And that um, they sort of launched some signups and that was sort of the money that I used to rent a commercial space. And so I got a lease on that space, which ended up not working out um, for various reasons. It was a little bit of a shady operation, but um, it was good experience. I, that was the first time I used, you know, a duck oven, um, mixer, you know, spiral mixers, things like that. Um, but I ended up, uh, moving into a, a wood-fired pizza restaurant mm-hmm. um, in their off hours. And, you know, again, that wasn't the most ideal. Like, the oven wasn't very... Big uh, learning curve there yeah, wood fire. Yeah, big learning curve with wood fire. And it wasn't, it wasn't an oven that was really engineered to bake bread. Mm-hmm. Um, I often found that I had to even bake with, like, live fire, which was kind of... I mean, that's sort of when you're baking bread in a wood fired oven that's kind of a no-no but um anyway so it was that again that was like a huge learning curve and it was a total labor of love I was you know getting off of work after being out in the field all day and then making dough and then um getting up at like four o'clock in the morning and putting the huge tubs on my bike um 
trailer and then biking them up the hill and then shaping them and then firing them off, getting them to, you know, it was just this total, but I loved it. I loved every minute of it. And, um, that's about the time that, uh, people started sort of hearing about what I was doing Mm -hmm. and, it was also the height of the gluten-free yeah. sort of movement. And um, and I think that people knew or, or had heard that I was doing this because of di- digestive mm-hmm. sort of difficulties and they wanted to know more. So more and more people were writing about what I was doing. And that's about the time that the um, idea of sourdough as the yeah. book uh, came about. Yeah. I, how would you say, you know... Uh, working with the CSA kind of sparked those those thoughts of, of writing a book. Was that something you've always wanted to do? No. Or was it something that <laughs> came to you in an epiphany? Like No. <laughs> I never thought I was going to work in food professionally. I never thought I would be a cookbook author. I mean, now I'm definitely an active participant in my um, trajectory. But um, no, all of this kind of came about just by opportunity that mm. I took advantage of. So... Um, at some point, my intrepid uh, literary agent <laughs> sent me an email and said, I think you need to write a I read this article about you. I think you need to write a book, and I need to be your agent. And, okay, let's go. <laughs> and I was like, Ugh. And I had, you know, it was funny because maybe a month before I had had dinner with a, a good friend who is also a, a garden designer, and she was like, you know, Sarah, you're such a good cook. Like, why don't you write a, a cookbook, like, based on your botanical inspirations and the way you understand plants and how they, you know, can be mm-hmm. beautiful, edible things. And I was like, oh, yeah, it sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> and um, Turns so, out it was really easy. <laughs> right. <Yes. laughs> it's so easy. <laughs> yeah, so... Um, yeah, so when my uh, when this woman contacted me, I I said, well, let me think about this, and yeah. and so I pitched this idea. Yeah, what was your so what was your vision for the book originally? Yeah, so the the vision is not that far from what sourdough is, and um, I really wanted there to be a very honest portrayal of of where I was coming from in terms of. Um, who who I am mm-hmm. um, because I'm not a you know at that point I wasn't a, a professional baker in the um, traditional sense and that's my story I mean I, I think about food from a very botanical perspective mm-hmm. and um, and a lot of publishers didn't get that they were like well where is this book going to sit is it going to be in the mm-hmm. gardening section mm-hmm. or is it going to be you know so it was really difficult for a lot of people to wrap their heads around, but um, Roost ultimately. So there were like a number of people that were like, "Yeah, we would publish this," but I felt like Roost really understood that mm-hmm. where this was coming from, um, where these recipes were coming from, where this text about you know the botanical profiles, where where that was coming from, um, and they really gave me a lot of creative freedom and flexibility, um, and and always have. I wanted to take a quick pause to thank the small group of listeners who donated to the podcast this season. You know, I added the donate option on the website late in the season, honestly, without any real expectation. So I was blown away each and every time I received a notification about a donation. I'm so grateful to those of you, some of you who I've interacted with, and other complete strangers 
uh, who made such generous contributions, both large and small. So big thanks to Adrian Hale, David McCaleb, Amanda Milburn, and Paige Matthews. It truly encouraged me more than you know to think that the podcast inspired you enough to want to support it financially. If you feel you've been inspired by the stories on the podcast, please consider supporting it by contributing any amount on my support page. Your support would help me in my goal to bring you a second season of the podcast and help mitigate some of the expenses of maintaining the website and equipment needed to produce a show. It's as easy as clicking on the support button and selecting any amount. Now, back to the show. It's a stunningly beautiful book, and uh, I think, you know, having read it, you know, and and cooked from it, you mm. know, and uh, mm-hmm. I made the lemon curd tart mm. a few months ago. Uh, well, I think what I learned from your book is that, you know, I, at the time, actually, a little background, I, you know, we just moved into this house, but before that, we were living at my parents' house on a 20-acre walnut orchard, and, Amazing. you know, there's just fruits and nuts in the Central <laughs> yeah. Valley everywhere, and, um, and there's almond trees and apples and nectarines, mm. you know, and as, as I was reading your book, you know, it's, well, now it's mid-May, but... Um, yeah. It was like winter time or end of winter, like tail end of winter, and like mm-hmm. the last persimmon was falling off the tree, <laughs> and uh, you know the Meyer lemons were starting to turn. Yeah. And ha- reading your book, I just had this really weird sense of like urgency, like <laughs> you know, as I'm turning the pages, I'm like, well, you know, because yeah. it goes through the seasons, mm-hmm. and I'm like, I gotta get out there, and like I gotta get out there, and I gotta <laughs> yeah. use use those lemons before they go back. I use totally. those persimmons. And, yep. and so I really appreciated that because it kind of made me think about using things at the peak of, of the season mm-hmm. and uh, just appreciating the flavor uh, when yeah. they're supposed to be harvested. And, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, right. so that was kind of like the main, what I got out of your book uh-huh. and, uh, other than just some amazing uh, recipes and mm-hmm. stunning photography. Yeah. Um, yeah, I really hope that when people read this book, and, and Heirloom is very much at the same spirit as, as Sourdough, um, that people really want to cultivate a relationship to their environment, to the ingredients that they're putting into their body. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we all have you know different accessibility and different climates and <laughs> different pocketbooks and <laughs> all of those things, but you know, I... I I want to inspire people to have those relationships um, mm-hmm. with with their ingredients, and um, yeah, so that makes me really happy to hear. Yeah. What, what other kind of <laughs> feedback have you gotten from from readers or people yeah, reaching I out? Mean, Anything surprising? Uh, well, I mean, I think that um, I think initially people thought this was going to be a much more traditional sourdough baking book Mm -hmm. so I think that um some people it was a turn off that it was you know in grams (laughs) yeah I'm like you know you can buy a scale for like ten dollars it will make you a better baker well and you have to use less bowls and it's less you know cleanup but anyway um no but I think uh, the people that actually really connect with uh sourdough and the way that I I write in general um, really do either already have those relationships, you know, they may have a garden, they may have a CSA, or they want to incorporate more of that into their lives. And so, you know, the challenge for me is to sort of, you know, how do I do that and keep it fresh with mm-hmm. like the third book? 
Mm-hmm. And um, but also not be so specific with certain ingredients that I exclude, you know, people that may not have sumac growing in their backyard or access to. You know, <laughs> yeah. So some of yeah, and there's there's always access issues, but um, you know, I, I tr- what I try to do is not just encourage people to to make a recipe, but to also just think about baking or think about fermenting or think think about preserving in a way that well maybe I don't grow um this obscure uh Malabar spinach mm-hmm. you know maybe I've never even heard of that I don't even know what that is but okay so the author is saying well you can substitute this 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 or this so then you're not only like adapting to the suggestions, you're actually understanding like the function mm-hmm. of that ingredient in the recipe. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that to me is a way, um, cause I consider myself an author, but I consider myself an educator. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope that people learn how to think for themselves, yeah. how to cook and bake for themselves in a way that isn't just following a recipe to a T, mm-hmm. um, but is actually sort of building upon knowledge, mm-hmm. either from the, the book itself or from, you know, being a baker who's come to this book and so they're, you know, applying knowledge they may already have. Maybe they've never baked a loaf of sourdough in their life. But yeah. um, so, you know, as an author, you kind of have to <laughs> appeal to everybody. Yeah, I, I thought it was very accessible <laughs> and, you know... Challenging enough to like really whet my appetite to like, mm-hmm. oh, I, I've never tried that ingredient mm-hmm. before or I've never mm-hmm. thought about it in that way before. And right. so, yeah, and you have a great section on uh, like stocking your pantry. Mm-hmm. And, and so, it just gives, I think, mm-hmm. encourages people like me to maybe like be a little more ambitious and take the next step in, yeah. in baking or cooking and, yeah. and just the way you think about ingredients in general. Yeah. So. yeah. And I'm hoping like with heirloom, I'm trying to push push. I'm a pusher. I'm trying to um, encourage people to think more about grain mm-hmm. and about flour yeah. as, a, as a really dynamic ingredient. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's been an interesting thing too, is um, not just sort of preaching the gospel about flour, but trying to make it more accessible, really good flour, trying to make that more accessible to every household, which yeah. is not... It's not mainstream in a lot of places. I mean, definitely on the on either coast it is, but um, so that's been a, a fun sort of new challenge as well as really trying to um, build that community. Yeah, yeah, I think it's something. There's a lot of interest in these days, and you know, it's just people are starting to think about what's in their food and what's in their mm-hmm. bread as, as sourdough. Uh, you know, yeah. starts to become more popular, and and people start considering like, oh, what what I'm actually using as flour. You know, it's just not a common you know the white white the white powder. You know, like what mm-hmm. is it made out of? Where is it coming yeah. from? And and uh, yeah, so I, I love I love talking to, with people who are passionate about mm. ingredients and mm-hmm. in flour and grain and yeah. And uh, I'm hoping it's going to rub off and and make its way, <laughs> you know, more and more into the Central Valley. Yeah, uh, here and. Um, but as, yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, as, as bakers, we, we have this incredible power to make change. And mm. I don't, I think that we're such a humble community. Often we don't consider that, but, you know, using 
the the choice of flour that we make mm. that we um, bring into our pantries it it feeds us it feeds our body it feeds our families and our friends but it can also grow a whole community it can change ag- agriculture in a way um, that affects you know real people yeah. um, and we've we've grown so distant from our flour and from grain for such a long time that it's kind of the last frontier and sort of the, the good food yeah. <laughs> movement, but it's a real, it's a real thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I think I was telling you a little bit earlier this, this morning, you know, it's, this whole valley used to be just wheat farm and, and wheat farms and, uh, before agri- or, uh, irrigation came in and, mm-hmm. uh, and, and now we have different crops that make more money and but yeah Yeah. because it's because wheat's kind of more of a a commodity that people don't think about as much exactly um, yeah so yeah it's i i love having guests on that help kind of spread that that message yeah and i think slowly but surely we're gonna Mm -hmm. be able to you know find more and more um amazing uh grain to to use in our sourdough yeah um so Sourdough won the uh, James Beard Foundation Award in 2016. It did, yeah. And, uh, you know, I've heard that it called the Oscars of the cul- culinary <laughs> world. Uh, I'm so curious what that experience was like. Can you just tell us a little, little oh bit about gosh. that? Um, well, <laughs> it was completely unexpected. I, I think when I got the phone call that it was even nominated, I, I, I think I just burst into tears. <laughs> Uh, because especially, you know, coming from a background, I, I wrote for my high school newspaper, but <laughs> I wasn't, you know, I didn't consider myself a writer or, um, you know, you're always, if you're, if you're a self-trained anything, you're always second guessing, mm-hmm. guessing yourself. Yeah. Um, so I think that I was just like, what, me, <laughs> this book. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then the night of the, the awards, I think, you know, I, I was convinced I wasn't actually going to win it. So I just, I invited a good friend who I thought we would have a fun yeah. night together yeah. <laughs> partying, you know, at the James Beard uh-huh. Awards. But, you know, I, it happened and it was incredibly humbling actually yeah. because it, you know, when you receive an award like that, it's a huge responsibility mm. um, to live up to that, mm. uh, both, um, you know, in in practice, but also... You know, if you, if you start at the top, where do you go? <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, um, but it's been very encouraging because it's, I don't, you know, I'm not sure if I would have really pursued more books mm-hmm. after the first one. And it, it, writing a cookbook is an incredible endeavor. It really takes up a lot of bandwidth, you know. Um, but it was an incredibly encouraging award. And I think after that, I, I, felt a lot more dedicated to, um, to writing, but also to becoming a better baker. Yeah. And that you can always be a better baker. It doesn't matter if you've had 20 years of experience, you can always be a better baker. And so I think that, um, the award really encouraged me to pursue this, this very, um, serious and dedicated path. Mm-hmm. I never thought it was going to be a full-time thing. Um, when I resigned from the botanical garden, it wasn't to pursue baking and writing full time. It's just how it ended up. But I have no regrets, and it's been a really beautiful yeah. path of connection. And you're in, um, a, you're in a, a small community, you know, of, of people that like yeah. are 
top of their their fields and but mm-hmm. like you said you know you, you it's like a responsibility in a way but you're mm-hmm. but now you're amongst your peers that have all have like a similar sense of risk of duty I think yeah. and I think there's a lot of people out there who have won those awards that are you know in it to change you know mm-hmm. systems and, and change yeah. the way we think about food and, and yeah. make big changes to agriculture yeah. and it's it's an incredible opportunity to have influence on the way people cook and, and bake and, and live their lives. And um, I don't I don't take that lightly anymore. Um, yeah. So good question. Yeah, well congratulations. <laughs> Thank um, you. Well, we are Getting later into our our conversation here, so I want to move on to maybe some listener questions. You sure. Think you'd mind taking a couple? Um, let's see. Actually, you know, um, Antigua Artisan asks, how do you balance being able to travel, teach, uh, writing a new book, and still run your cottage bakery? Well, I have an evil twin, <laughs> and she does... No... Um, keep, keep her locked up. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, it, so I think that maybe a lot of people don't realize that where I live in Rockaway um, Beach is, uh, it's a very seasonal community in New York. So literally our season starts Memorial Day and ends Labor Day, which is a pretty short window. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when there's the actual demand for me to bake. So... Other times of the year, you know, I can, of course, bake um, and there would be an audience. But when you're running a cottage bakery as a business, there is a certain amount of minimum hours that you have to put into making sourdough bread. And at some point, it just makes more sense for you to do other things to pay your bills. Mm. So there's actually it's it's a kind of been a nice rhythm to follow, Mm. you know, really. I mean, the summer's not really when you want to be baking. <laughs> no, not anywhere. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, that's just the way it goes. And so I've kind of been trying to follow this rhythm of baking really just nose to the grindstone all summer, mm-hmm. not really doing a lot of testing, but just, you know, baking my heart out for production, um, mostly wholesale, but also some um, subscription baking and then, you know, using the opportunity of the off-season to teach more wa- workshops when people, especially in New York, when it's colder, people want to do that mm-hmm. kind of activity um, and to travel. Mm-hmm. And when I first started writing, you know, I had a full-time job. So it was actually, <clears throat> I wouldn't say it was easier, but it was um, definitely... Yeah, it was easier to sort of portion my time because I knew I needed to be somewhere from 8 to 4, and I knew from 4 till whatever time I went to bed was my free time, and that's when I could work on the book. Mm -hmm. Now it's a little different because I'm doing all of it all the time, you know, and there's really no delineation between work and Mm non-work. You know, you're you're living your work all the time as a freelancer, but... um, Well, and being in a different country every... Other month, different state. <laughs> yeah, which has been also something that I never anticipated, mm. you know, traveling internationally to teach or to consult. But those opportunities have come through bread because bread is the universal language. <laughs> 
Um, and it's, it's really been an incredible currency um, between so many different cultures. But that's also something that feeds me. Mm. And I know that I'm not, I'm not the type of baker, I'm not the type of person that can do the, the type of production that a really large bakery would re- require mm. of, of me. Um, so it's been actually a really good balance because I need to practice my craft. I need to be, a, you know, baking mm-hmm. in order to get better mm-hmm. at it. Um, because numbers, you know, pushing through numbers of loaves always is a very different thing than baking like, you know, 10 or 20 loaves at a time. Yeah. Um, but I also need to make sure I'm feeding that creative um, portion of my brain, which the writing and the recipe yeah. testing that definitely feeds that. And I need to talk to people, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, as a baker, as bakers, we often are, are a little bit isolated, yeah. even yeah. if we're working with a small team of people, um, it can be a pretty isolating existence. And so the, the teaching workshops or leading workshops is this beautiful way to feel like I've made a personal connection, but also, you know, it, you're empowering as a, an instructor. You're mm-hmm. empowering people to be able to do something for themselves. Yeah. So it's not like you're just teaching. You're actually really providing this beautiful gift to someone mm-hmm. that they're discovering this part of themselves that you know can feed themselves, feed their friends, feed their families. So that is something that really gives back. So I've kind of needed all these yeah, it things. Sounds like it all works in unison. Yeah. Drains one thing fills right. it up and yeah. Right. I mean it's all about to change. <laughs> <laughs> I'm about to throw the whole deck of cards uh, in the air and see where they land again. But um so far that's been the last four or five four years um since I've been freelance baking and writing, that's been the working formula. So um yeah. Cool. Um Stacy D three one four. Um, asks what online green, grain resources you would recommend. You know, if someone's mm. maybe you know, wanting to start for the first time baking with a little bit uh, more um, yeah. locally grown grains mm-hmm. or um, heirloom grains, mm-hmm. what would you recommend? That's a great question. So in, in the back of my book that's coming out in September, September 24th, Heirloom. Heirloom. <laughs> A shameless plug. Um, there's going to be a resource section, but also awesome. on my website right now, you can go to ritualfinefoods.com and there is a resources section and it's ever expanding. So if you see something um, that makes you think of something else that I don't have on the list, please send me those recommendations because I don't know every no. small mill. Um, but I try, you know, especially people that I've worked with, I've tried their flowers, try to get them on there. Um, you know, as a, a baker that believes in regional flowers Mm -hmm. and my production is using regional flowers, but I'm also always trying to test other flowers to see how they'll perform in the recipes that I publish. Um, so that resources section, uh, is based a lot on that experience, but, um, I try to also list other small regional um, mills that um, are all over the U.S. Yeah. And I've started trying to add ones in Canada as well. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, <coughs> one last question. Um, I thought this would be interesting. Um, <laughs> that is stupid good asks, or 
or proposes this scenario. It's your last day on earth. What are you baking? Oh my goodness. Oh my no goodness. Pressure there. <laughs> That's a good question. Um, you had one, one final thing to bake. Wow. And, and that was it. That's tough. Maybe just for yourself. That's really tough. I told you I wasn't going to stump you. <laughs> that, that's a stumper. Um, well, so I go through these cycl- cyclical cravings, and you know I get really stuck on something, and then <laughs> I kind of move on. Lately, I've been really stuck on this custard-filled cornbread. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, which is not sourdough at all. <laughs> but, um, I mean, truthfully, I love just a crusty loaf of stone ground mm. flour sourdough bread. I mean, it's just real simple. It's the vehicle for everything. It's, you know, the microcosm of life. It's it's a beautiful, beautiful mm. manifestation of so many different um, elements of, of nature, of of us, of microbes. <laughs> I'd agree. I think I think I'd yeah. I'd agree with that statement. Yeah. Um yeah, that would be it. Oh. Yeah. Well, we've talked about Heirloom a little bit. It's coming out in September. September 24th. It's released. Yeah. Great. I'm excited. I can't wait to get my hands on it. Uh, this is your third book. Um, mm-hmm. Toast and Jam was released um, 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, anything else you want to share with us about Heirloom for people who... Sure. Want to yeah. get it on their uh, pre-order list? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, it's available for pre-order right now. Um, so it's not just baking. Um, sourdough baking is a big part of it, and um, it's you know sourdough mostly sourdough based on wheat and rye, but also some other heirloom mm. grains. But there's also an emphasis on using sourdough with other non-glutinous grains because I do truthfully feel that if we're going to improve our agricultural situation and our environmental footprint, mm. that we have to diversify our grain sheds. Mm-hmm. We've got to do it. And, um, you know, I, I've never been a big pusher of like gluten, gluten-free because I love gluten. <laughs> <laughs> but um, a lot of these other grains are um, a huge part of a healthy, mm. um, organic system of farming Mm -hmm. and so we really do need to figure out ways to incorporate those things so the baking portion relies a lot on lots of different types of grains um and you know some of those are sometimes used in their whole form and um, pour there are a lot of porridges in the book um i talk a lot about how to properly prepare them and ferment them or soak them and sprout them ahead of time Mm for proper digestion, but also assimilation of their nutrients. But I also talk a lot about um, other things that I feel like are really important to the heirloom kitchen, including avoiding waste. Mm. So um, there's a whole section on how to use whey (laughs) as an ingredient and other things. Um, There's a section on how to render your own fat um, as a healthy alternative to highly refined plant-based oils that a lot of people don't quite understand how processed and chemically exposed they are. Um, so there's lots of different sort of um, sections of, of the book beyond baking. Mm-hmm. So some people will be like, oh, I wanted all 
baking. <laughs> but and I hope hopefully I will write another book that's all baking again. But um yeah, so it's and it's a beautiful book. It's a very thick book. It's a very it's um gonna be a little bit more of a tome than uh sourdough. Great. And it's photographed by the same same, same uh, photographer. Yeah, Nachman. No, she's um, oh, she's been the photograph uh, the photographer for all three books, and I worked with um, a stylist for both Toast and Jam and Heirloom, who um, sort of helped me with the the beautification of things that I'm not used to making beautiful, like vegetables and <laughs> stews. I find and... that hard to believe. You don't know how to. Beautify well, your when you're trying to capture a very specific moment in time um, for print, mm-hmm. um, it is a very different set of skills. Yeah. And he is incredibly skilled in that realm. And we eat everything we shoot. I think that was um, a, a question Bonnie actually uh, uh-huh. posited back when I originally since that was you want to know a little bit more about like the photography oh, yeah. process and yeah um yeah I mean I could talk all day yeah. about it but, but it sounds like you know <laughs> it's it's a, a highly curated and like a lot of teamwork goes into it and yeah so the way it works with Roost is I'm pretty much the art director of the book until it goes to design mm-hmm. And so I am coming up with the overall look of the book. I'm sourcing the props. I'm thinking about what it could look like once it's laid out in its pages. Wow. Um, yeah, it's <laughs> it's a lot to absorb when you're in the middle of writing it. I mean, that's like writing sounds like a, a lot. Just the, the writing process by itself, not yeah. much less like the arranging of yeah. every page. Yeah. But, you know, one of the positive things is that um, I am very driven and inspired by seasonal ingredients. So, and we tend to shoot with the seasons. So these book projects have taken like eight months to shoot, you know. Mm. But we're shooting when things are, are at yeah, their peak. That makes sense. So it, you know, it's hard to make, it's, it's easy to make something look beautiful when you have beautiful ingredients. Mm. Um yeah, and we, you know, we kind of, as a team, sit down and I say, all right, here's the shot list, um, here are the props, here's the order I think we should go in, and then we talk about it, and then we squeeze in, so you, you know. sounds like your director, uh, you can add that to your credentials. <laughs> yeah, but it's real loose, you know, it's real, um, I'm not, probably not as professional as a lot of people in New York. Uh, <laughs> tend to be but um it's it's a lot of fun yeah. and it's it feels like it keeps it authentic yeah to um sort of the inspiration behind the book mm-hmm. so I, I i enjoy that <laughs> well i can't wait for it to come out and uh how, how can listeners connect with you sarah how can they mm-hmm. um find out more about heirloom how can yeah. they like i said pre-order it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so um instagram is probably the easiest way to keep up with just what's going on um i you know don't post as often as I probably should, but, um, that's where I really, I share sort of my daily inspirations through Instagram stories, which is a little looser and a little more on the fly. Um, kind of try to keep it real (laughs) in the stories and then, you know, major things that are happening, workshops, um, life events, you know, this project in California, 
I'll be posting more and more about that just on my regular feed. And then I have a website, ritualfinefoods.com, and that's where I list workshops that I'm doing all over. So you can go to the events page and um, check out uh, the last couple of workshops that are available yeah. in New York, um, which are, are almost, they, one of them might be full. Um, and then other workshops that I'm doing this summer and fall and next spring. So I'll be in places like Colombia and wow. Sicily wow. and maybe Russia next year. Um, that one's kind of been on the back burner for a while, but, um, I'm, I think I'm going to try to f- finally make it happen. Um, and, uh, yeah, and that's where I'll be also posting more information about the, the school here in California. Oh, well, we are so excited to have you coming out West and, uh, yeah. it's, you know, it's been such a absolute pleasure for me to spend time with you today and, mm-hmm. and, uh, get to talk with you. So yeah, uh, you know, I wish you all, all the best in your future endeavors here. And I can't see, I can't wait to see where, uh, your, your next, uh, chapter of your journey takes you. Yeah. Um, I appreciate the opportunity to be able to share all of that here. Thank you. Well, I'm excited to have the exclusive on the uh, on <laughs> Sarah Owens moving west, and yeah. uh, I know our listeners will be excited to, to hear about your your next uh, next chapter. So yeah, and I'm so excited to be able to connect with bakers out here. Um, so yeah, if you're interested in, in hanging out, baking something up, whatever, just let me know. My I guess I should say my handle on Instagram. <laughs> I have two. One is Sarah, S-A-R-A-H, underscore C, underscore Owens, and the other is Ritual Fine Foods. Um, Yeah, so definitely send me a message. Let me know. Um, Yeah. When we can find you, when you're not uh, traveling around the world, we can nail you down to one spot and come learn some some amazing sourdough skills. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Sarah. Yeah. Thank you, Mike. California, California, to California, we're wandering. California. Well, I hope you enjoyed my interview with Sarah Owens. I couldn't imagine a better person to end the season with. Be sure to check out the Sourdough Podcast website where you can learn more about Sarah and find links to pre-order her new book, Heirloom. And one last shout out to the Sourdough Instagram world. You all have been the biggest promoters and source of personal encouragement for me. Thank you to everybody who has tagged me and shared your best loves with hashtag Sourdough Podcast. I loved hearing from you and seeing your beautiful bread. And you know, a super easy way to share the podcast is to just take a screenshot, post it, and tag me at the Sourdough Podcast. We'll see you next season on the Sourdough Podcast. Stick around for the latest from Weston Perry. You can now find him at westonperrymusic.com. Paying to play the game is no accident at all. Neither is the time and place that you decide to call it all. Maybe the time that you and I should rethink what to do is right here, right now, in front of me. Bro
but he got that kind of time. Losing sleep and bad dreams won't be happening if I'm well. Come get me out of this hell. Here to live, and I'm wasting my.